Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Father God, your word says that all men are like grass and their glories are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. This morning, Lord God, we, your people, stand on your word. In it, we desire to see your son, Jesus Christ. Through it, Lord God, would your spirit stir our hearts that we might believe. Grant us holy reverence and awe, Lord God, for you. That we would be a people sanctified in this place to your praise and to your glory. In your own name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians. Philippians is in the New Testament. You can find it in the index if you're struggling. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians. This morning, I'm, I'm just going to preach from a few verses, from verse 8 um, through, uh, sorry, from verse 5 uh, through to verse 8. But I'm going to read from chapter 1, verse 27 through to chapter 2, verse 11, so that we've got the context, so that we understand the authorial intent. We've got something of what the author is meaning as we come to the text. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 27. In the honor of the reading of God's word, can I please ask, as many as are able, would God's people stand for the reading? Hear the word of God. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it is being granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you 
looked not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, been born in the likeness of men, been found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just so far in the reading of God's word. Please be seated. In your own Bibles, you can follow along with me. Verse five. Have this mind among or alternatively in yourselves and which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let me read it again. Have this mind among or in yourselves and which is yours in Christ Jesus. Note that this is an order. Paul is commanding you to have this mind. He is demanding an attitude. Paul wants the Philippians to set their hearts upon something, to have an understanding, to be wise, to seek, to strive for something. Paul says, have this mind, this mind. And that refers back to the verses that we looked at last Sunday. If you read in verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, together with me, it says, let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Friends, how believers live their lives bears witness to the gospel message. Examine your life. Not only that, but as we read on in chapter one, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. How believers live their lives bears witness to the gospel and how believers live their lives in harmony with one another together bears witness to the gospel. Examine the way that you interact in the local church that God has placed you. Our corporate unity is a gospel issue. And in this light, Paul presented 
in chapter 2 from verse 1 to 4, three aspects of our collective gospel harmony. He begins with harmony's motives in verse 1. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Goes on in verse 2 to talk about harmony's marks. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. And then he goes to harmony's means in verse 3 and 4. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. And let each look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. What we discovered last Sunday as we looked at that text is humility is key to our harmony. And our harmony is key to our gospel witness. And so now as we get to verse 5, Paul says, have this mind. And the, this mind that he is commanding us to have is a humble mind. A humble mind bent on our corporate harmony. I made the point last Sunday that our corporate harmony comes through individual humility. Today, let me add that our corporate harmony comes through individual humility that we exercise together. Radard Kipling put it this way, the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the wolf is the strength of the pack. Paul says it this way, have this mind among or in yourselves. If we're to be harmonious, then each one of us must strive for humility, but all of us must strive for humility together. Where will we draw this mind from? this harmony from, this humility from? The answer is Jesus Christ. From our union with Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. In, in verse one, Paul had said, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is plenty of encouragement in Christ. Now he commands, have this mind in Christ Jesus. Paul is calling for those united in Christ in salvation to work out their own salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who is working within us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What follows in verse 6, 7, and 8 is our model of humility. Our model of humility. We've spoken already about the motives and the marks and the means of humility. Now Paul presents the model of humility, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. 
and most particularly his condescension from heaven's glory to a death on a cruel cross. Three points in the text, and they follow the three verses as we work through them. Number one, he did not hold on to his glory. That's in verse five, uh, in verse six, sorry. Number two, he laid aside his privilege. That's in verse seven. And number three, he humbled himself to the cross. Verse eight. Let's look at verse six to begin with. He did not hold on to his glory. Read verse six in your own Bibles together with me. Who, speaking of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Let me read it again so we have it firm in our minds. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. If we are to wrap our minds around Jesus' sacrifice to one degree or another, we must begin by contemplating the lofty grandeur that he condescended from. He was in the form of God, of the same essence as the Father. Jesus is God. Of himself, he says, I and the Father are one. Referencing the name of God repeatedly uh, in the book of John uh, from Exodus, I am who I am. Jesus said of himself, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. And then to the Pharisees, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. They understood the claim to be God. Because they took up stones at that moment to kill him for blasphemy. Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. He was in the form of God, of the same substance, essence as the Father. In the words of the Nicene Creed, Jesus is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, Begotten, not made of the same essence as the Father. If anyone had the right to be self-centered, it is God in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He chose not to hold on. He condescends. Jesus let go. What did he let go of? For a moment in his story, the darling of heaven, whom all heaven celebrate, let go of his heavenly glory. 
the glory in God the Father's presence, which he had had before the world existed. For a moment in his story, the high king of heaven, before whom angels prostrate fall, let go of his independent authority. He learned obedience through what he suffered. For a moment in his story, the jewel of heaven's praises let go of his eternal riches. Though he was rich for our sake, he became poor. For a moment in his story, the second person of the Holy Trinity let go of his favorable relationship with God the Father, that he would cry out on the cross as he absorbed the full wrath of God for our sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus let go. He condescended. He chose not to hold on. What a mystery. Meekness and majesty. Bow down and worship. For this is our God. This is our God. This model of humility. Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, condescending from heaven's glory to death on a cruel cross. He did not hold on to glory. But secondly, friends, he laid aside his privilege. Verse 7. He laid aside his privilege. Read the verse together with me. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Let me read that verse again, verse 7. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. Don't make a mistake here. The text doesn't say that he emptied himself of his deity. Or his divine attributes. No, God was fully God. Jesus was fully God all through his life. Jesus didn't become anything less than what he was. God cannot stop being God. The Son of God cannot stop being God. But he did submit himself. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. So that Jesus could say, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. And again, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And again, I do as the Father commanded me. He submitted himself to the power of the Holy Spirit. One preacher said it like this. Jesus set aside his own life as a total obedient act to the will of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit. This idea of emptied is the main thrust of verse 7. Paul describes this emptying in two parts, and it's, it's very interesting. 
The first part of this emptying, Paul says that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. One sentence back, we read that Jesus was in the form of God. That was the morphe of God, the essence of God. Now, one sentence later, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, the morphe of a servant, the essence of a servant, literally the essence of a slave. In Jesus, the essence of deity and the essence of humanity dwell in perfect harmony, fully God. And fully man, two natures undiluted. The second part of this emptying in this verse is Jesus being born in the likeness of men. Jesus Christ became a man. He was born as a babe in Bethlehem. He was wrapped in swaddling cloth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God with us, Emmanuel. The God-man slept. The God-man ate. The God-man perspired. The God-man bled. The God-man rejoiced. The God-man sorrowed. The God-man was stirred to anger. A man. Born of a woman, born under the law. Born not to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. Can you see here in verse 7 that the emptying of Jesus is more about what he put on than what he took off? He put on humanity. What follows is a model of humility, Jesus Christ. His condescension from heaven's glory to death on a cruel cross. He did not hold on to his glory. He laid aside his privilege and lastly, he humbled himself to the cross. Verse 8. Read with me in your own Bibles. And being found in human form... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Once again, just to make sure that the verse is in our mind's eye. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. Paul is drawing towards his ebb, his lowest point. Jesus, God, condescended through an act of intentional humility. He humbled himself. Jesus, yeah, is modest. Jesus, yeah, is humble. Jesus, yeah, his humility is meekness. His humility is lowliness. His humility is absence of self. Jesus, yeah, is our model. But don't make a mistake here. Don't discover the humility of Jesus in this text and leave him there. Or even worse, 
as a humble example, put him on a poster on a wall next to other humble people, like Mahatma Gandhi or Mother Teresa or the Dalai Lama. It is blasphemous to put Jesus Christ on a poster next to other good examples and leave him there as a model of human virtue, even though he is the perfect example of human virtue. Because Jesus came to do more than model good behavior to us. We normally remember men for their lives, for lives well lived. We remember the life of a painter. We remember the life of a good parent. We remember the life of a wealthy businessman. We, we remember the life of an international sports star or musician. We don't generally remember men for their deaths. Jesus lived the perfect life. And so rightfully, we give much thought to it. But the central theme of the gospel story is the death of Jesus Christ. He became obedient to the point of death. God, eternal, humbled to the grave. Willing to associate with us in every way, Jesus died as one of us, even death on a cross. A death on the cross is an instrument of pain. The New Testament says so little about the actual crucifixion of Jesus, probably because crucifixion was so distasteful to the authors, they don't go beyond the barest minimum to describe Jesus Christ's experience of it. The cross is an instrument of shame. The cross embodies an emblem of the most hideous of human obscenities. It is a symbol of reproach, of degradation, of humiliation, of disgust. The cross is obscene, beaten, whipped, mocked, spat on, Gasping for air in excruciating pain, Jesus hung naked and ashamed for all the world to see on that blood-splattered instrument of torture. The cross is an instrument of curse. The prophet Moses had written, A body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. The Jews, as they cried out to Pontius Pilate, crucify him, crucify him, were demanding that Jesus be crucified, aimed at maximizing public revulsion towards the man Jesus Christ. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us on that tree. Friends, the cross is an instrument of salvation. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a savior. What we see in verse six to eight 
of Philippians chapter 2 is a model of humility. Jesus Christ, his condescension from heaven's glory to a cruel cross, not holding on to his own glory, laying aside his privilege and humbling himself to a cruel death. How do we apply this passage of Scripture? Look to Jesus. He died for you. He died in your place. The just for the unjust. The righteous for the unrighteous. The good for the bad. He bears the wrath of God that you deserve. He bears the shame for your sin that you should pay. He bears the curse that you were under. The darling of heaven became the lamb of God that was slain that you might be counted as a child of God. Look to the cross. Sinner, you live in your sin, you will die in your sin, and you will experience an eternal separation from God. There are no second chances. The love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God is on display to you right now in the person of Jesus dying in your place. Cast yourself upon him. Come at once to him. Lay aside your sin at the foot of the cross. Rejoice in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that was slain for your sins. Repent. Believe. That Jesus died for your sins and that he rose from the grave on the third day and you will be saved. You will experience life abundantly and life eternally. But do not let salvation pass you by. This is the moment of your salvation. Cast yourself upon the man who died for your sins. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Believers, how do we apply this text? Live humbly as a testimony to your association, your union with Jesus Christ. Live humbly with your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter, the finisher of your faith. Live humbly from a life which has been united to Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord God, for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his life well lived thank you for his sacrificial death for sinners thank you that we have a savior a great savior a perfect savior a powerful savior who is able to save even the most wretched of sinners Lord God even now 
by your spirit moving within our hearts and our minds, would you open our eyes that we might see the person of Jesus Christ and live? For those of us who have been united in his death and in his resurrection by faith, we ask, Lord God, would you continue to transform our lives from one degree of glory to the next? That our lives may be lived as a witness and a testimony to the power of the gospel within us. These things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.